0: Its driven protests, its spearheaded global fundraisers, its soundtracked history, a medium of epic proportions that's always been the beating heart of togetherness. In case you've ever doubted its universality, today on Beneath the Rhythm, let's talk about music and the way the industry behind it has been affected and is rising up amidst 2020's pandemic. I'm Laura McInnes-Ray, and you're listening to Beneath the Rhythm, an RX music podcast. It's riddled us with unforeseen circumstances that doesn't discriminate against class, race, or age. Sometimes COVID-19 feels bigger than us, but music is. As a species, we become accustomed to overcoming struggle by coming together. We used to have concerts and relief fund events. In the wake of an ongoing pandemic, we can't do that anymore, so we're learning to rewrite that reflex. We may not always understand music's inherent influence, but we understand its power to connect us and mobilize change. To explore these issues, I interviewed several key players in the music industry to hear their side of the story. Amanda McCauley, publicist. Lizzie Clark, music educator. Nick Waterhouse, producer and musician. DJ starting from scratch. Mark Markchick, musician and founder of Urgent. Danny Reiner, director of Artist Can. And Alan Cross, longtime broadcaster and radio host. We've had to put a unique spin on how we experience live music now. I asked these leaders of industry about the changes in music. What they're doing now and what they think the future looks like. We began our conversations talking about the two weeks when everything seemingly changed overnight.
1: My name is Danny Reiner and I'm the director of Artist Can.
0: When was the moment for you when you realized life was about to completely change?
1: Um, I think By closer to the end of March was when I was starting to realize real changes. Obviously, one of our clients, Alessia Cara, was supposed to host the Juno Awards. And when I had landed for the Juno Awards weekend and we found out that pretty much we were getting on the next flight back out because the Junos were were canceled, I knew that it was going to affect our industry in a big way. Um, And it wasn't a temporary thing. This was something that needed a little more attention. It was going to take a little bit more time than most people really understood. We're definitely seeing everything's just being shifted on the live music front into 2021. I mean, that's a big part, especially for any major performer or performing artist, for that matter. Um, Summer's a big time for festivals and live music and being outdoors and performing as many places and spaces as you can. I mean, that's just definitely thrown a monkey wrench in everything that we had kind of planned and lined up. And these shows don't happen overnight. This is stuff that's been planned pretty much since last fall.
0: Time has been a bit of a funny construct for everyone lately. We spoke to Amanda McCauley.
2: Hi, I'm Amanda McCauley, and I am a publicist with Indoor Recess Public Relations.
0: How has your team been navigating the waters of releasing new content?
2: Everybody's really trying to catch up and and figure out how best to present these things in in a appropriate way and in a good way and, mm-hmm. and it's also going to benefit the artists and and people that are losing that that revenue that they would have been getting from touring then how do we adapt let's move this to a situation where we perform a concert in an empty venue um which is something that some artists were doing right off the bat they were able to kind of still go into these venues you couldn't have the audience obviously um, but then they performed it and did a, a live stream and then those restrictions got tightened even more where it was now just can't be in any of these public spaces at all. So it was like every single day, something new was uh, introduced. And then that, that kind of model for how you were going to present your concert or your music had to be adjusted. Yeah. How's that affected release dates? Before we would, have some pretty clear um, timelines as to when things would be released and when certain assets would be dropped. And so there just needs to be a lot more flexibility now with that, because maybe the single that was going to be scheduled to go out this week um, doesn't quite fit the tone of, of the world that we're living in now. And so that needs to be adjusted. And I think that everybody's in the same situation right now in the industry. So there's, there's some, solace in that and camaraderie in that that we're kind of all in this together and everybody is facing the same struggles and the same obstacles and so there's definitely a, a sense of leniency with these things. It's a double-edged sword, like there can definitely be a level of sadness in seeing these live streams that are supposed to be replacing the concert experience and, and you're happy that you still get to see these artists performing and, and hearing songs in a new way, but then there's definitely that level of sadness. and, and it's that grief that we're all experiencing right now and I don't even think that it's necessarily just um, these live events. It's like you are so used to having weekly dinners with a group of friends and or going out for a cocktail hour and things like that and now it's really switched to having a zoom chat once a week with those people and and as great as it is to see them and speak to them um, virtually there's definitely that underlying sadness where you just want to be face to face and and have that physical presence
0: indoor recess is a toronto-based company mm-hmm. correct So typically I probably could have met up with you and we could have done this in a studio.
2: And even that, like, you start thinking about the the kind of audio quality of all of yes. this things that are happening. You you think of, like, broadcast radio, where everybody would have to be in studio, and it has to be such a controlled environment, and all of the things that we think about when it comes to broadcast and, and film, where it's like, there can't be any air conditioning going on in the building, because that can interfere with the sound quality. And that's kind of just all been thrown out the window at this point. Now we're like, we've fully embraced the lo-fi aspect mm-hmm. of all of this, and, and I think that I think that it's good. I, I don't see it as a negative. I think that it's it's kind of nice to see artists um, in this really raw, stripped down, lo-fi way um, and people just embracing that and not having expectations of it being this super polished, put together production. They're getting to see people in a, in a much different way than they might normally be able to them which is kind of interesting it's as a fan of music even um it's just kind of nice to see and um and that's the world that we're all living in right now like we're all living in this kind of sweatpants and (laughs) no makeup situation so why should the um like why should the live presentations of things be any different
0: unfortunately it's live shows that were the first to be canceled we spoke to mark Markchik.
3: hi i'm mark Marchik from uh from urgent
0: urgent is an initiative created for artists to present their music in an online forum
3: it it all started for me from all my gigs getting canceled I'm in two projects that are kind of touring around the world, and the just literally tours just fell off, and that was the case for a lot of other musicians and festivals and technicians and people all across the industry. And so, yeah, I'm I'm a pretty impulsive person, and and one that's lived through crisis before, particularly in in uh, 2014 during the Ukrainian Revolution. Um, Me and my wife were there and actively involved in every step of the way. And it's obviously a quite a different type of crisis, but that sort of feeling of of like immediate action needing to be taken and like you also having like no way out because everything is changing around you. That's a sort of an experience that I'm uh, that I've had before. And so when all this started to change, my immediate impulse was like, well, we have to do something. This is changing. I could see this sort of going to the place where, you know, the entire music industry, it's gonna just change. Let Let's not use the word collapse for now. And let's just say that if things are changing and so we're gonna need to adapt. And it wasn't so much of a feeling of like, well, let's think about ten years down the road. It was more of what do we need to do to adapt right now? And the thought was, okay, venues are shutting down, technicians are losing their jobs, artists are losing their jobs, people can't go out, they still need that outlet. This like moment of collective crisis, the ability to like get over the small details much more quickly and get to what's important.
0: Shows got canceled locally, but they also got canceled on a global scale. We spoke to Alan Cross.
4: I'm Alan Cross. I'm the host of the Ongoing History of New Music. Plus, I do a whole bunch of stuff on television, online, and for a variety of radio stations, including Q107 and 102.1 on the Edge in Toronto.
0: Who spoke about the initial global impact of COVID on the music industry.
4: Pearl Jam canceled their spring tour. I thought, uh uh-oh, they have been hyping this for months. They've been hyping the album for months and now they're canceling it. They were one of the first. I think they canceled uh, right around the time the NBA paused their, their season. And I thought, okay, you don't take that step lightly. They know something, they feel something that we don't. So when Girl Jam called things off, it was like, okay, this is just the start. And then we mm-hmm. saw a cascade of things being canceled or postponed, Coachella, South by Southwest, a whack of other tours. It was, uh, and it happened very quickly, if you remember. Uh, I wish I had been keeping a diary, you know, on a day-by-day basis, just to keep track of how quickly we went from a fairly normal life to this lockdown.
0: And there's been a lot of also interesting commentary um, surrounding just the the tendencies people are going back to with the way that they listen to music. It's talking about how people are going back to their core favorites that they grew up with, or... You know that streaming numbers have peaked because people just have more time and more patience mm. to just like dive into spotify um how have you found that like on a personal level
4: people who are looking for music to listen to are going a lot deeper than they used to with the streaming services we've seen a decline in the number of streams given to the top 200 artists or our top 200 songs on spotify uh, and we've seen a rise in streaming for stuff that we can best describe as as comfort music. You know, classic rock, for example, is seeing a very marked uptick in in streams. So as people are locked down, what they end up doing is exploring things that they might not have otherwise done. They're tired of the same old songs. A lot of those songs are happy and cheerful and bouncy and dancey. And I'm not feeling very bouncy and cheerful and happy and dancy right now. So they're investigating other forms of music. So what one of the outcomes of this could be that people become more comfortable and more used to streaming their music rather than purchasing it.
0: There's been a paradigm shift in the way that music educators interact with their students. We spoke to Lizzie Clark.
5: Hi, my name is Lizzie Clark. I am a singing teacher and vocal coach in Toronto, Ontario. I run Wedgwood Alley Singing Studio. Well, I just opened up my own little studio, like a brick and mortar facility down at Broadview and Queen. And so I was just really starting to settle into that. So I hadn't really even quite begun to get into a regular routine on that front, but I've been teaching privately for about five years now. So either students would come to me or I would go to them, um, and that usually, you know, I, I get my day started with getting my admin done at home, but then I do go out. I go to a studio, I go to my students' homes, or sometimes they come to my home depending on what works for uh, what works for everybody involved. and And that was it. And with um, my new studio, obviously that kind of transferred over to I just spent all my time there, and my students mm. came there. And it was starting to become a really lovely thing. And then, you know, Covid. And now it's essentially the same thing, but I just don't go anywhere. <laughs>
0: So the studio has become the four walls kind of.
5: That's exactly it. I think the interesting thing that this has sort of taught me is how flexible people are, first of all. I've been really, really lucky. And I don't know if all music teachers have had this similar experience, but I've been very lucky with my students being really on board, really, really cool with switching to this new medium. I feel so lucky um, that the bulk of my students made that transition with me. Um, and again, I don't know if everybody's had that experience. And and so I do just like, really, I count my lucky stars on that front, but it has taught me how much my industry is about the personal connection. It's not so much about the equipment. It's not so much, you know, about the sign on my door. Like I've been able to make it work. It's not ideal, but Mm -hmm. I I, I get by (laughs) just sort of sitting in front of the computer, doing these exercises. I think the challenge that a lot of music teachers face are just the nitty gritties of being in front of a camera with a microphone doing this sort of thing. The lag is real. Lag is a real thing, and, and you really can't get around it. So we all had to, and I've talked to my other uh, my friends who are also music teachers, getting used to not being able to play along with your students was hard, <laughs> not being able to accompany people. that um, that that is that, that connection that comes from that experience, I think is really... Uh, has always been important to me but finding ways around that whether it be pre-recording or doing kind of like a call and response style and and just sort of getting used to that new forum that new back and forth has been Mm -hmm. uh it's been a learning curve but it's 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 doable but what
0: about for those who were in the studio while all this was unfolding we talked to nick waterhouse la based musician and producer
6: i'm nick waterhouse i'm a musician songwriter record producer and general record man out of California. I'm here in Los Angeles, and I also run a pirate radio broadcast Monday to Friday, four to six Pacific Standard Time called Cocktail Hour on my Instagram Live. Well, it's really interesting because um, all of this started coming up as I was in the studio working on a new album uh, in mid to late February. So. When I work on a record, it's sort of 12- to 14-hour days, and I'm unaware of the outside world. And the last day, we realized that we weren't going to be able to finish because a state of emergency was about to be declared. And the writing was really on the wall for me then, because when I came out, all my friends who worked in music were not panicking, but really aware of the big change about to happen. And I think about two days later, here in California, my state, they were very aggressive about shutting down public spaces uh so i kind of felt like omega man i came out of the studio blinking my eyes like a mole man and suddenly like everything was shut everything's on hold right now and Mm -hmm. so the urgency to finish for me as an artist is there because i also believe in finishing a record not as quickly as possible but in the in the moment as possible so that it's still a documentation of like that time we still captured a performance and it's really strange and eerie almost because it's like the last week before everything changed we were recording this whole record Mm -hmm. and uh and it was a union of all these players that that are from different places which has become sort of a, a running thread in my career and it's like how how many times in the future will we be able to do that again
0: quarantine has also challenged the dj community They've adjusted their business models to be almost entirely online. We spoke to DJ Starting From Scratch.
7: Hey, what's up, everybody? This is DJ Starting From Scratch. Who I work for is myself, but I also work for Virgin iHeart Canada. That's what I do. I'm a DJ by nature. It's been like a rat race to try and go from one platform to the next platform to the next. And, it, and it's tough for the consumer because they're trying to follow along with what they want uh, listen to and who they want to see, and it's become a big problem because now we're we're continuously telling people, well, now come see me here, or come see me here, or go listen to this mm-hmm. person here.
0: Which platforms would you say have been serving you best right now?
7: Right now, Twitch is the best platform. DJs in general, it, it's a gaming, it's originally a gaming platform, mm-hmm. and they're from what I understand from the high end of things, they're kind of just in a sense letting things slide um, because they see the frustrations that people are having on other platforms so they're willing to take one for the team for better sense of for better sense of word it's become a great platform you know visually it's better there's no interruptions and and you get all the features and you can do so much more with it you can really dress up your your streams with visuals and and text and so forth and overlays and all that stuff and it's become you know it's starting to slowly but surely become the norm the only thing is that you now have to get Your audience from all the other platforms to try and go to a new platform which takes time you know what i mean so again it's it's frustrating because instagram is the easiest and that's the most accessible because that's where everybody is i'm on the stance now where i'm really not afraid to to make the shift and just direct everybody to twitch i'm kind of doing you know what howard stern did when he left terrestrial radio and went to Sirius and just kind of said if you guys want to hear what I have to do you'll follow me over here so that's kind of the approach I'm taking it's unfortunate that a lot of the platforms aren't letting us do that freely which has been a very big problem the platforms like Instagram Facebook you know they'll shut us down they'll continuously mute us they'll give us problems uh, due to copyright infringements which means it's the record labels giving them problems which in turn they give us the problems. so it It's very stifling. It's tremendously stifling, and and it's it's been like a rat race to try and go from one platform to the next platform to the next. and it and it's tough for the consumer because they're trying to follow along with what they want to listen to and who they want to see, And it's become a big problem because now we're we're continuously telling people, well, now come see me here, or come see me here, or go listen to this person here. And a lot of the platforms are showing favoritism to the big people with you know, tons of celebrities and stuff. All of us worker bees out there that are working our asses off daily trying to provide the exact same service and not for monetary gains or anything, just for the sole purpose of providing entertainment for people. We've just been getting shut down like crazy, which is very frustrating. Before this started, I never thought of live streaming, to be honest with you. It wasn't even in my, in my thought process It's because I'm out there. I figured I was out there enough all the time, but doing it now, you really see there's a totally different connection now. Like you said, even with this interview, being able to see you, like I think the, that visual connection is something people really need at these times. Because even when people text me or something, and I'm not usually a phone caller, I'm a texter always. But now I find myself, like, I'll FaceTime everybody. I don't, mm-hmm. I'm tired of texting, and I'm tired of reading, and I'm tired of all that stuff. Like, I, we've lost that sense of personal connection. So I think the li- that's why people are gravitating towards the live streams. And I imagine a high percentage is going to keep going with it, even when, you know, it's, it's safe to go back out there. Unfortunately, it's that real personal connection that's gone, you know what I mean? And that, and that vibe, there's nothing like stepping into a club and getting that vibe, but People are. A lot of people are just adapting the same way I'm adapting, which is, which is great.
0: As we continue to follow this story, what does it mean to get an entire industry as notoriously fickle as the music business to adapt entirely? What projects are emerging? How are we moving forward? And what's fueling the drive to create right now? Amanda McCauley, publicist from Indoor Recess. And and I think there is also that, there's always been that universal sentiment, making something artistic, that you can't just sit down whenever you feel like it and force yourself to, you know, push out something brilliant. It's just, it seems so counterintuitive. You want that actual inspiration. And when you take away the the, the root of inspiration, which is just, like life itself, like all of our experiences are, you know, capped between pretty much four walls these days or maybe a car or or whatever.
2: There's something that's really resonated with me was an interview that I was listening into that an artist was doing with a radio program. And they were talking about how it's been challenging for them. We're all kind of going through this really devastating time in history and we're trying to process it. But then artists are kind of feeling this a bit of pressure to still put out material and to take this time to be writing and be creative and and take this time of struggle and turn it into something positive when really all you want to do is curl up in a ball and and just turn your brain off for a little while and and not have to deal with it. And so that's something that really resonated with me is that we need to give ourselves space to just allow the, the, grief to be present for a little bit of time um, and not feel so pressured to be creative or turn out new content and, and turn out more content that you might have been doing. Like if you were on tour, maybe you had a certain amount of content that you were going to be putting out on your social media platforms. And now it's almost like, well, we need to be even more present. People are really seeing what we're doing, but then there's such uh, a huge amount of pressure that's being put on on you to do that. And maybe you don't want to do that when you're trying to struggle with everything else that's going on in the world. So mm-hmm. I think that, that was kind of a really good reality check. We try to operate as business as usual as much as possible, because we have to, <laughs> we have to kind of keep moving forward. And, and music is obviously such a comfort for people in, in times of struggle. And so i think that there's a sense uh, across the board with artists that they want to keep sharing their music with people and and putting it out there to the world so that people have something to to look forward to and and kind mm-hmm. of take take them out of the darkness that we're all experiencing. One of the artists that we work with um, has been turning their old merch t-shirts into PPE and um, donating that to hospitals that are are in a shortage of PPE and and need those masks. So I think that that's one thing that a lot of artists have been turning to in this time is how can I be productive in a way that's going to be helping kind of those frontline workers.
0: Mark Marchik, founder of Urgent,
3: online music venue and COVID artist relief. Venues are shutting down. Technicians are losing their jobs. Artists are losing their jobs. People can't go out. They still need that outlet. Let's do shows in empty venues. Let's bring in a crew, let's maintain social distancing protocols. Let's put together, you know, a model or like a formula that allows for us to come into a place with the least amount of people possible and let's make something dynamic and beautiful and tragic that documents this moment in history that we're all living through. That's really the the impetus that started things. We said let's do it. We're going to put out a crowdfunding campaign and say we're going to do 19 shows appropriately we're going to do 19 venues across toronto with a different artist and different venue every time but hopefully that'll get us through this three-week quarantine and of course Mm -hmm. in a matter of days that changed three weeks turned into six weeks and we weren't allowed to go out anywhere a lot of the venues just dropped off because they had to shut down permanently never mind like letting us in in small groups they were sort of not into that anymore and and besides on our side we sort of started to feel that it wasn't socially responsible anymore and so we adapted our model we started to think about ways of okay well how do we still maintain this good quality intimate vibe of being able to change camera angles and use B-roll and show the space that we're in, even if it's somebody's house, without bringing a massive crew in and without having the sort of technical problems that are associated with it, without it being too stressful on the artist. And we came up with a model. So now it's like, you know, every artist that's involved, we send them a step-by-step of where to set up your cameras, when to press play and all that. And, And then every artist has the task of, take your own camera phone walk around your house and like give us your or your neighborhood and give us your quarantine experience
0: i think that's a that's a creative way to use just means of production at a time when you are trying to be very clear that of the limitations and send the right message and um you are also part of like you're the founding member of lemon bucket orchestra which as anybody who knows you guys knows immersive live shows like that's yeah. that is you guys. So if there's anyone who I think understands the power of that sentiment of people all being together and
3: experiencing that together, it's, it's definitely someone like you. It's the same thing that we're trying to achieve. The sentiment or like the impulse is the same. It's how do we connect even though we can't be together? How do we, how do we do that now how do we do that in the forum that is appropriate to this experience maybe we're not we're not in this celebratory mood right now maybe mm-hmm. there's something more introspective that's going on and that's good we need to acknowledge that you know let's give artists some agency to get out what it is that they're seeing feeling hearing if they can't have five people behind them playing uh music that have that magic that happens when, when five or six or 12 people get on a stage together, let's give them another voice. Let's give them a camera and say, well, what are you, what else are you saying? What else can you show us about what you're feeling right now? Or, you know, what you're seeing, and maybe there'll be some parallels or maybe there will be some contrasts, you know, and people who are at home rather than seeing another Shaky camera, bad audio stream of somebody in their pajamas, uh, they're gonna see something that's a little bit more intimate, even though it's not live streamed in that very moment, but it was, you know, put together. Specifically, the festivals, they're sort of our like cultural curators. They're the people that really listen widely and in some cases very narrowly to find sort of what it is that they present to the rest of audiences for us to be able to get either that escape or that moment of introspection or whatever it is. So we figured, well, let's, I mean, they're going through this too, festivals are canceled. Why don't we give them a voice? Why don't we Mm -hmm. give those festivals a chance to say, well, here's an artist we really wanted you guys to, to see or to hear, and now we're gonna team up with this platform because they're trying to do something to get this out, you know, to get that, to still get that artist out, even though we can't perform at our festival Mm -hmm. and getting a whole bunch of those festivals to then come on board to cross promote each other's shows is something that is kind of unprecedented, um, in Ontario or Canada. Um, because normally there's, it's just competition. One of those beautiful like silver linings that you sometimes get on a cloudy day. Yeah, Um, you know there's a lot of I know there's other sort of everyday instances of kindness and of community that are that are rearing their heads you know and in our everyday lives and this is certainly one of them of course the festivals are supporting by paying the artists Mm -hmm. um and we have these you know organizations like music together that come come in and you know give a big chunk of money to be able to do it but we still to to even to be able to focus on a project like this, you have to have sort of administration and tech and design and social media people that to sort of keep it going. It's in a sense like running a kind of never ending festival, you know, <laughs> that's just happening online. Highlighting the
0: venue itself as a part of the actual production, I think just goes to show even further how much music plays a part in, you know, the cultural health of a city. It's like we're in the middle of a pandemic right now and who's bringing us all together? It's musicians.
3: You know, there's this misconception about uh, musicians being like self-centered or like egocentric and whatnot. But man, we really, all of us have our favorite venues. All of us spend so much of our time in the city, whether it's playing gig or going to the gigs of friends or just hanging out with our families on like our off days. Like we all love music. We all love culture. Without those places, you know, that culture, it doesn't exist. You know, it's a really, really key part of the whole thing. The same way that, the same reason why we're going to festivals as well to co-present because it's not just the artists. It's a festival that really chooses and creates the conditions for us to be able to connect more deeply. You know, that's a huge part of things, especially right now. We need to think about that. Really highlighting that emptiness, I think, I, I think lets us all reflect on, you know, how are we in our own personal lives, how are we evolving to continue to create those conditions to connect more deeply? I mean, we want to go on for as long as it's needed, as long as there's sort of a, a desire on the part of artists, on the part of festivals, and then on the part of audiences as well. Most of how this is happening is, is through crowdfunding. We'll see the shows and it's kind of a pass the hat model. I mean, it all depends. Right now, we're sort of like just trying to find the money to do it.
0: Lizzie Clark, vocal coach and teacher at Wedgwood Alley Studio.
5: Creativity doesn't necessarily flow when stress is really heavy. Um, so it's just, it's balancing all these different worlds of just taking care of yourself, trying to be creative, finding solutions to work with the technical problems that we've Face. If there is a silver lining, it's that slowing down um, that's kind of been forced on us. And every day brings a new kind of feeling. Every day brings a new either stressor or a new hope, depending on if you're on an ebb or a flow. Dealing with the day to day, figuring out what people want to do, what's going to actually like put a smile on their face, what's going to make, you know, make the experience a really enjoyable one, something that's going to actually just make them happy. Because at the end of the day, like singing is not something i would call or singing lessons i should say is not something i would call like essential but i do feel that it brings joy um and it's important to kind of like guide uh, the session like what's Mm -hmm. gonna like make you feel better by the end of this i i realize now i can teach all over the world i just have to get the timing right it's a binding uh art i mean creativity in general binds people and I think music does that particularly well and that's why I think we do it so that's why we miss it so much we miss being together to make music but this alternative of making music um you know over the computer over FaceTime over over Zoom or even just over the phone like singing happy birthday to somebody these things do connect us and remind us of that kind of um the it's just it's just very human and I think it's Mm -hmm. it is necessary I mean, music is always better together. I think that's that's just a truism. I don't think anybody's going to be like, let's just do it this way now. I am offering free lessons to frontline workers during this oh, time.
0: amazing!
5: Just it's it feels like the one thing I can do aside from just staying home. Danny
0: Reiner, director of Artists Can. So in your position in particular working with such high profile artists, you're managing the expectations of your clients, but you're also managing your own expectations of, you know, what can I get done? How can I navigate this? What have you found to be the biggest challenge in doing that amongst so much uncertainty in the industry?
1: It's difficult. It's an adjustment. um, And we're finding new ways to reach people um, in the absence of, of what would have been summer festivals or concert tours, even launching music is just, you know, recalibrated at this point. You know, uh, it's it's called the music business. So there's a business element to it. And it's just figuring out and navigating the new form of, of business, finding new revenue streams. Funny that for so many years and historically, government's first to cut the arts and, uh, and budgets for the arts. And it's funny that in a twisted way, um, during a dark time like this, a pandemic that the entire country, if not the world, is turning to art to get them through this, whether it's um, live music streaming or movies or reading a book across the board. It's art that's kind of keeping us motivated. For me, it's also, um, you know, there's a there's a healthy balance between giving back and um, exploiting what's happening. So I think finding that happy balance of helping where you can, but also um, carry on and and uh, find ways to I mean there's, there's great programs out are available to a lot of artists on various degrees um, where you can get receive an honorarium for participating in a live stream So there's small things that kind of can keep artists afloat but it's a very tough time financially for our community regardless of what scale you're on I mean you might be a, a well-established artist who has multiple people on payroll and that they can't do anything but you also might be Um, a struggling musician who's just trying to get ahead. And it's on both ends of the spectrum, there's your challenges. So
0: what what does your day-to-day look like now, typically working remote?
1: Figuring out what each of the clients are doing on their own and how we can support that, but also finding new and interesting ways to keep relevant during this time. It's maintaining the schedule that we had set out for some people who are working on music, um, Mm -hmm. sticking to that schedule because, you know, make music and and product and and content for people. but also finding a way to effectively use their voice to lend help or aid in any way um, to what's currently happening. The, the sooner we work together to get through it, uh, the sooner we can get back out and perform and, and do what we do best. I think I'm flexing the creative side a little bit more just to think of, you know, what can we do while we're self-isolated? What equipment and resources do we have available in inside? Um, this mm-hmm. is not something we can just kind of bring a camera crew around and go film a music video or something, right? We have to be very respectful of what healthcare officials are telling us to do. So you're working with, within parameters for these, these types of initiatives. But I guess on the day-to-day, it's just about maintaining what we were already working on. That might be a, a long-term thing. And then um, finding those unique moments and opportunities to utilize the influence of your your clients. You can be influential in, in terms of pushing your own music, but how can you use that voice more effectively? for a greater good during this period. I was speaking with one of my clients, Tyler Shaw, and a a couple of weeks before we even had uh, started this project, uh, Kenny Rogers had passed away. And he did a little video, just like a 30 second clip of him singing Kenny Rogers' classic song and posted it to social media. And people seemed to really like that. It was just a a small way of paying homage to a a fantastic legendary musician. And then uh, when we found out that Bill Withers had passed, I wanted to do something similar, but I felt like when we were both listening on the phone to like, we we're sifting through his catalog on, um, on DSPs, Lean On Me, I kind of like put on loop and I was listening to three or four times. There's something so warm about this song and it's kind of dawn on both of us at that, at that time. This is kind of like, message that we need to hear right now because if you're watching all these live stream events that are being broadcasted on on television online there's kind of a somber gray tone about it and Mm -hmm. I mean that is our reality right now but I think what people need to feel and see and experience is something a little more uplifting there there is some good news there is some silver lining it got us thinking about that song and we felt it was also like multi-generational it's like you know, younger cousins or brothers and sisters would know that song, but also grandparents would know that song. So it wasn't like we were recreating the wheel and trying to introduce a new song that we had written um, Mm -hmm. as a charitable um, initiative, but that um, this message that's kind of lasted over time uh, and was familiar with people already was just you know it's a pinch me moment yeah you know what? you're right we can lean on one another in whatever capacity that is that was kind of what we had attempted and that kind of obviously snowballed into something a little bit bigger than just a 30 second cover
0: what what advice would you give artists now for staying positive and just and trying to create content that resonates
1: i don't know if it's much of a trick but it's um it seems to be working for a lot of our clients is journaling just whether it's a a word or a phrase or what you wake up thinking or what you go to bed thinking about looking back on that to create is super important because it's honesty, it's vulnerable, it's, um, it's reality. And I think that's more than ever. It's, we, we don't have party anthems that we're like bopping to necessarily right now. It's like, everything's kind of come to a little bit of a, a slowdown. And, um, it's an opportunity to like be introspective and write and create. Um, so if, if that's, I guess, a silver lining, if at all, then that's what we can take from this right now is an opportunity to create. And there's there's definitely ways. I think people are also, to some degree, more open to collaborating during this phase because everyone's isolated. So those regular people that you would be in writing or producing or working with, their realities have changed. I'm finding it's, it's almost more collaborative, given that we have the technology to do it and that we're all kind of in the same boat. I think when we're in um, game mode, as we call it, um, where er, everything's just moving at a faster pace and there's timelines and deadlines and schedules and investment and people and players all involved in the creative process, it feels a little bit more rushed, and seemingly progressive. But I, I think now is a real time to like write that song, even if it doesn't go anywhere, write the song that you wanted to write. Um, it just seems like we have a nice blank canvas to do stuff like that. Now would be the time. I think the the beauty of it is with whether uh, it's a DSP or you bust out an old cassette collection or CDs or whatever, an old MP3 that you still have songs on. uh, The reality is um, there's so much catalog available, whatever mood you're in Mm -hmm. during this pandemic, there's something for you. Some people are like digging into old favorites, like you said, or um, maybe they just want like something more uplifting. So there's a little bit of everything. So I think where there might be lack of inspiration. The great thing is we can um, find inspiration in other things, whether it's, you know, the news can be a little daunting from time to time, but um, there are things that we can listen to um, that kind of hopefully do inspire us in a creative way.
0: And I think it essentially is highlighting throughout all of this, like you said, just how integral the arts is to life, is to society, but also if we're experiencing something that's so unprecedented, Mm-hmm. Like everyone is resonating with the same thing. It's it's pretty powerful to be to recognize that for anyone who didn't recognize it before. It's kind of like this is how universal this actually is. Nick Waterhouse, musician, producer and host of Cocktail Hour Livestream.
6: First thing that I worry about because I'm not a band is that I'm not exactly an employer. We, we all are like privateers that work together. And obviously there's people I've worked with for a long time. But I thought about all the players that I work with, because they're sort of inherently a floating coterie of 30 plus players that all work with me on my records and tour with me. And those are the people that I spend half of my years for the last 10 years with. And I immediately thought of how their livelihood was going to be affected. Beyond that, it was really about trying to create some interface with the stuff that really matters to me, which... It's not records as objects, but the reason I made music and have the career I have is because I come from a culture of records and I started thinking about how to continue to relate to that world and that culture in a way that uh, made sense. I wasn't a person who's particularly fond of the way that social media works or the way that I see it structured and people turning themselves into content sort of at their cost of their um, integrity. Respect. (laughs) Uh, Yeah, self-respect. I don't know. There's a lot of people that live inside the system. And I, I spent a little while really trying to honestly figure out how to formulate a format that felt honest to what I care about and what my world is. And and it, it really is just sort of drinking and hanging out with friends and playing
2: records.
0: Since music is arguably such a strong vehicle for memories, especially at a time like this, where we don't really know what's coming next, but we do have so much more time to digest as we just discussed. But like 10 years from now, you could be walking down the street and hear you know that specific Ruth Brown song they used to play on Cocktail Hour. And suddenly you can like taste the the brine of a dry martini that you and you're transported back to a completely different time in your life. In this case, maybe quarantine, you know, I mean, I can check back with you in 10 years and you can attest it if this is true or not. But sure. it feels like, you know, the project that started seemingly quite casually has proved to have such a strong, lasting impression on your listeners and a way to engage and escape. So it's more, I think, more powerful than expected when it was started. Um, have you considered like what you'll take away from this personally?
6: I didn't come of age in an antisocial environment having to do with music and records and so I think that I decided to commit to trying to find a new way to generate a little income for the players I know and sort of perpetuate and, and re-engage with the stuff that I really love. Because as a working musician touring, I, I have no time. So I would have these piles of things from years of being on the road. And uh, this has been an opportunity to sort of like re-engage on another level with stuff that I just didn't have time for. I was breathlessly passing by all these boxes of records that are really a big part of my life. I always have to approach things sort of at a diagonal so that I don't choke, <laughs> I guess. It's not that I have low expectations, but I like to try to access a place that's more honest when doing a project, whether it's making a record. It was like, I'll make a 45. Okay, I'll make my friends 45. That was the al All right, I'll make an album because it seems to be going well. I'll get a band together. I'll play some shows. I'll try it out. But when I do it, it, again, it's with great care and I take it seriously. It's just more that it feels tied to what I am honestly all about. That's when I started playing music, quote unquote, professionally about a decade ago, I had been in bands since I was 14. But I finally had to be honest with myself and say, like, I don't really want to do this for ego. I don't particularly like being in front of people. I don't like being a front man. But I feel something deep in me that is tied to like that X factor chemical, like oxytocin or whatever it is released when I'm in this. And as I got older and I got to play with older musicians who, who are part of the continuum of like playing American nightclubs and on records and, you know, talking to Willie G from the Midnighters or talking to young Jesse, who just passed away or talking to uh, Maxine Brown or talking to your old Thomas. It's like what gets lost and, and flattened out, especially in this, in like, as we went through the Gen X consumer radicalism of how people wanted to relate to music was not showbiz, but that nightlife stuff and specifically record music stuff is so heavy and so deep. And it's not a subculture. It's almost more like a lifestyle that isn't branded it that, you bring joy or touch somebody doing this work which i think is pretty noble and you can see places like new orleans where people are like working musicians but they're also part of families and communities and um like i said that's what was real to me and what i loved about being around it and um so cocktail hour to me it gives me purpose every day i am like i know what's happening in my day based around that and That's what working at the shop used to be like, where I knew I was going to see somebody cool like DX, who owns the bar and the mission with his brother and draws really cool drawings on his 45 sleeves. And we would all shoot the shit and play stuff that we liked and talk about whoever's doing what this weekend. And um, it's what I love. And and I think that this is a time that I will remember. (laughs) you know, And, And a lot of the stuff that I do, especially if I'm working at it, I like to engage myself with the work. My brain starts humming and I just get to doing it. And then in a couple of years, I can reflect on it. It kind of makes me think of the first year I went out on tour. I was just holding on tight and doing it. And, you know, now I have memories from that. And I think it's really good that you don't control what your memories are and they come to you from somewhere deep. And I'm sure that I will have that moment. Lord knows that I have it with records now that that take me back to San Francisco in 2005 when I was outside the Edinburgh Castle at 1 a.m. and You know, I can smell the smoke from the guy down the block and I can, you know, see the same doorman in his corner like I knew what it tasted and felt like there, you know, and um, I'm sure that will be that from this. I hope the one thing that I, I will say in a broader sense, and this relates sort of to the content and streaming culture is that. Between making my very first record, which came out, I guess, technically eight years ago, but I was making it nine years ago, and making my last record, the churn of consumption was getting so relentless in the music business that it was very easy to get lost to listeners. Um, And this has suddenly made everybody slow down, which may be nice. Uh, It was getting eaten like Skittles, and I'm actually glad that a lot of people now seem to be taking some time to be like oh damn I just listened to this five times over because I have time to listen to records now.
7: DJ starting from scratch. We have DJ groups and we talk every day trying to figure out what's best see what everybody's doing so we're not kind of stepping on each other's toes you know we all try to promote each other I mean it's hard for everyone it's hard for you on that side of the screen and it's hard for us behind in front of the camera it's not easy for anybody right now and I think a lot of people realize that a lot of I know I get tons of messages from consumers just saying, you know, just thank you. Thank you for what you're doing and so forth. And I think all the DJs understand, you know, we're not making money right now. It's been supremely tough on, on everybody involved. And I think that the DJs just have the same perspective as a consumer. You know what I mean? It's just, how can we make things better for everybody? It really depends on what you're looking for out of it and what you want out of it. I'm not, I wasn't looking for numbers and stuff when I was doing it. I was just like, well, the first time I did it, I did struggle with should I play for who's watching or should I really try and push my boundaries and play what I want? And I was like, it doesn't really make sense for me to play what you hear me play in the club all the time. I might as well. This is my chance to really test you and test me. Everything I'm doing is trying to just really give a release, whether it's the pioneers talks, which is this, you know, shining a light on, on who I deem to be pioneers in the Canadian music industry while they're here, which is a big thing for me. And uh, I also do mental health talks, and it's all for the same purpose: is just to let people have options out there, to let people have a release from the constant negativity. I'm fortunate to have a decent-sized platform, and people look to me for certain things, so I'm I'm using it as much as I can.
0: And do you think, as a as a DJ, was that sentiment sort of conflicting at the beginning? Because DJ culture is so much about being like immersive, experiential, like being to connect with your people on the floor and making sure that the vibe is right. Like, was that a hard transition to be like, well, let's do it online. Like, I
7: even kind of giggle to myself on Saturdays while I'm doing my show. Like I'm literally dancing by myself, you know, uh-huh. trying to entertain people. It's like being that show monkey kind of thing. But um, it, is, it, it was a tough transition for me because I, I had never done it before at all. And I'm mm-hmm. also not comfortable being on camera and on the microphone and so forth. So it was a big battle for me personally. But you can really this is a this is a big chance for anyone, really artists, you know, DJs, musicians, anybody of, of doing anything really, dancers, anything, to really test your own boundaries and really, you know, let people see everything you can do. That's been a super highlight, and that's been a very bright light in this whole COVID experience, is that now I've kind of developed myself into, into a, a different type of DJ. And just pushing musical limits all the time and people have embraced, you know, this whole, everything that I'm doing musically, it's been embraced, like people will just literally sit with me from 7pm until, you know, whenever I stop 1.32 in the morning, and they'll stay the whole time, just Mm -hmm. because they just want to hear what I'm going to do next which is cool and and that's an experience that you can't get with a with a live crowd in front of you it's very tough to do unless you're doing it for a very small audience when you put it on Facebook then you'll get the shares afterwards and you know my first video that I did and I totally forgot it was on Facebook and it had like almost 60,000 views just from people sharing it and putting it around so to me that's like you know 60,000 people watching what I'm doing how would I be able to achieve that in a club you know That's, what I mean?
0: that's a big club yeah yeah
7: <laughs> You know there's a lot of djs that are just amazing at what they do you know technically and sonically but they're not camera people or they're not you know what i mean they're not that interactive mm-hmm. type of person so how how do they how can they thrive playing music is one thing but how long are people going to sit there and watch you just kind of stand still and look nervous on camera mm-hmm. even though you're playing great so i mean it's it is tough for a lot of people and it, and it's unfortunate because a lot of people that are probably thriving in clubs and so forth are probably struggling on camera. And by the flip side of it, you know, there's those underdogs that are, you know, never had the name in the clubs that now may have that shine and be able to really bring people into to what they're doing. And I think that's a beautiful thing too.
0: Here again is Nick
6: Waterhouse. I'm really wondering what's going to happen. A lot of my concerns are for what I recognized as pre-existing rot in the live system, which was just underfunded venues that were barely breaking even. Everything that I knew in the industry on the level that I would see, which, you know, was playing clubs and small halls, was that no venue had managed to upgrade for years. Everybody who worked there was essentially... You know, it was like a not a money-making enterprise, and um, the money had all been moved into one area, which was pure speculation, sort of on the Uber model. I really am afraid that this will be the end of independent record shops and a lot of independent music. I, I, I think the longer this goes on, it's going to it's gonna be really bad. But the flip of me is this, like, perpetual bad situation, optimism, maybe even romance. It may be a lot like post-war Italy. It's like uh, small things will mean a lot to much smaller audiences. I think technology is always a funnel for actual human sentiment and enterprise. I think that inherently we're all going to end up as musicians probably working for one conglomerate of a digital world or going into a much smaller community-based role, like a dairy farmer to his town. Um, we do have a really global reach with this technology, but um, I don't foresee a lot of venues reopening and record shops, and I don't know what the future is after that. I grew up reading about people functioning in Wild west, which was what 50s rhythm and blues and independent record making was. You know, and you think of a guy like Sam Phillips, who built his own little studio had very modest budget recorded people like Alan Wolf and early Ike Turner and eventually Elvis Presley and gave it to his friend and and the record shop and the uh, studio uh, station down the street and would, you know, it's a pipeline with three people involved. And I think <laughs> that's kind of maybe how you have to start thinking about the music business after this is over, if it's ever over.
0: In the way that we've seen, um, you know, artists, obviously, using live streams in a way to get their audience engaged and sort of boost um, morale. Do you think that's sort of teasing the future of this for the next little while then? Alan Cross.
4: Well, I think what's going to happen is that we're going to become very, very adept at using technology. There is going to be something coming out of this, and it's still too early to tell. But we are, or at least artists, are learning how to communicate virtually
0: do you see any sort of any unique genres sort of breaking out of this period like if we can only do things virtually
4: well artists okay so artists are in quarantine and they are And artists will will create based on what they see and feel so if they are in quarantine and they're feeling lonely and alienated and angry and scared that's the music we might get Mm -hmm. or we may get you know songs that are kicking against the darkness. It's really hard to say. We we don't know because we're still early in this whole lockdown thing. And we don't know what kind of music is going to come out of it. We've seen a lot of, you know, novelty songs, we've seen some cover songs. Uh, we've seen something, you know, things that have just been easy to throw together. But if we're talking about a um, actual groundswell of a certain type of music that comes out of a great societal upheaval, it'll be a while yet because we're still in the first draft of this, of this history. Uh, mm-hmm. I have another podcast called Geeks and Beats and we are talking about it all the time, uh, on my website, my daily radio show, talking about it all the time, mm-hmm. but for ongoing history, we're going to have to wait several years before we can look back and see exactly what's, what this pandemic wrought, you know, mm-hmm. Artists uh, may not want to go on the road, especially older artists. Let's consider somebody like Paul McCartney or Ringo Starr or Roger Waters or The Who or any of these artists who are in their seventies. You know, they're not in great shape to begin with, but they have to tour because they they want to maximize their their wealth as and their and and pay for their lifestyle as best they can. They were planning to go on the road this year or early next year. They may not, and if they don't, that could mean that the the final window that they have to go out on the road will be closed and we won't see these people anymore. For example, I really wanna see Ringo Starr just because he's Ringo Starr. He's 79 years old. He may not be able to tour until he's 80 or 81. Now think about that for a second. That's gonna be very hard on someone because you need so much stamina to go on the road. And secondly, you know, if the virus doesn't behave itself, these people are prime candidates for becoming infected. So you know, Roger Waters is seventy-two or seventy-three. Pete Townsend, Roger Daltrey, there in the early seventies. Rolling Stones are between seventy-five and eighty years old. So, mm-hmm. uh, will we ever see these people again on the road? And maybe not. It all depends on on how quickly we get back to normal, as far as touring goes.
0: I think that's a reality rock and roll fans do not want to come to terms with. No, I mean,
4: how you know after after having Paul McCartney with us since. You know, 1963, really, Mm -hmm. to think that his career as a performer ends because of a pandemic. I mean, that's just sad beyond words. Um, Facebook, for example, just announced today that they are looking at ways for allowing artists to charge for live streams. So that could be something. The other thing that we might see more of is, you know, virtual reality. And augmented reality is applied to uh, to music, and because we're dealing with something that we can't see, uh, we're extra careful, extra paranoid about things. So I can't imagine anybody really wanting to, you know, get into a mosh pit anytime soon, and then going into, you know, a big arena or a festival or a, uh, a sweaty, crowded bar. It's going to take a while before we are confident enough that the virus has been beaten, that we will go into one of these places not worry about getting sick. Now, to get, to actually contract SARS, you needed to break into an ICU, pull out a ventilator, and give that guy a deep French kiss. That's how, it wasn't very, it was nowhere near as, as uh, infectious as, as what we have today. Uh, but people wouldn't come. I mean, I think it was Elton John and Billy Joel, both canceled concerts in Toronto because they didn't want, be, want to be here just in case. And mm-hmm. remember, we had to have the whole SARS stock, that big festival at uh, Downsview Park mm-hmm. with the Rolling Stones and Rush and Justin Timberlake and ACDC and all the rest of them uh, to convince people that it was okay to come to Toronto and mix it up in a large crowd outdoors.
0: Mm-hmm.
4: Uh, and that worked. It really did. It was a celebration of our recovery from the crisis It was a big thank you to all the frontline workers, and healthcare workers. And after that, SARS went away and we we, we did okay. But we've never seen anything like this. And this Mm -hmm. is the the worst pandemic since uh, the influenza breakout of 1918 to 1920. So again, this is something that we've never seen before. And uh, hopefully once this is done, we won't see for a very long time. It's gonna take us a while to get back to normal. You could open things up tomorrow, and let's just say the virus disappears. You could open up things tomorrow, and it would be months, if not a year or more, before we get back to
7: normal. DJ starting from scratch. As far as I'm concerned, like for me, I don't plan on stopping this even when I go back into the clubs, because I may have to change the days that I do it, depending on availability, but in general i just love the freedom it brings and i love being able to push the boundaries and i and i also love how people are taking the ride with me even if they say it's okay to go out you know we don't know what's going to happen we don't know what kind of limitations we're going to have we don't know how many businesses are going to survive so how many places are going to be available to play music in when the doors open again because it's so hard on everybody especially financially i mean businesses i don't know how they're going to survive this drought right now and are people really going to be that excited to go out? Are they going to be that excited to stand in the room with two hundred other people or a thousand other people at that point? When I think of,
0: you know, DJ culture and rave culture and all the, at least even in my personal experiences, like you want to be as close to people as possible, and like it is so much part of that euphoria. So I think it's just really eerie to think that the nature of so many um, genres are gonna are gonna shift
7: and i think i i mean some people will swim some people will sink who knows what's happening i'm just literally at this point i'm trying to keep myself afloat and i'm trying to make as many people happy while i'm doing that you know let people feel like they're we're all in the same party together
0: and that's such a massive value of dj culture and house music let's give it all you got to make the most epic escape possible let's make people feel like they're part of something bigger
6: question my father yeah my father never had to ask these kind of things i don't think they happened in the past i've been walking on the stress that was a song about larger things that i saw coming to a head anyways and whether it was going to be a pandemic or a you know, a power shutdown or mass data surveillance, that's that's also a song about a generational gap and a difference, a big change between, um, you know, something that the previous generation went through and what we're in now. We're really in uncharted territory. Swimming in a sea of indecision
0: Tremendous thanks goes out to all of our guests on the program, Alan Cross, Danny Reiner, Mark Markchick, Lizzie Clark, Nick Waterhouse, Amanda McCauley, and DJ Starting From Scratch for sharing their insight and experience with us. We'd like to take a moment to recognize the strength and compassion of all of our frontline workers and their continuous efforts. This episode featured Black Glass by Nick Waterhouse, courtesy of Innovative Leisure. This program was produced by Craig Clemens, Regan McDonnell, and Tony Young. Images by Andre Grant, social media by Room Joom and I'm your host, Laura McInnes-Ray. Hope you enjoyed the program.